Welcome to Garfield Memorial Church. We are one church in three locations, Pepper Pike, Ohio, South Euclid, Ohio, and Liberia, Africa. Together, we seek to widen the circle through our core values of diversity, safety, authenticity, growth, and forgiveness. To learn more about Garfield Memorial Church, visit our website at garfieldchurch.org. And now, may you be blessed and inspired by our weekly podcast of the message from the 10 a.m. Sunday morning Mosaic worship service. Garfield Memorial Church, widening the circle. Need that reminder today? It's God of what you're dressing. It's the God of the mountain. It's the God of the valley, too. Um, our family's <clears throat> been going through a bit of a valley. Some of you know that and really appreciate your prayers. I don't want to sit up here and bleed all over you um, because you go through it too. I always say if you preach about suffering, uh, you either are right now, you have been recently, or you will soon. It's a universal condition that we go through, but it's good to be reminded that the God of the mountain is the God of the valley and everywhere in between. Uh, we serve a great God. Um, and so if I haven't met you, I'm Chip Freed, the lead teaching pastor here. I want to greet all of you who are worshiping with us online. We're so glad you're with us. Pastor Kurt is in the chat there. If you have a prayer concern or a question, just, just hit him up in there and let us know uh, where you're worshiping from. We want to connect with you beyond today. We're, in, <clears throat> we're closing today a teaching series. Um, you know, you, you can tell when you see a little more seats. It's, it's summer in Cleveland, right? So I'm going to really thin the herd down in a few weeks because after next week, I'm start, starting a, a, a series on sin. So I'm sure you all are going to want to sign up for that. Um, we'll call it a summer of sin, sinful. I don't know what we'll call it. But we're going to look at the seven daily sins. They used to call them the seven deadly sins. And I'm really looking forward to preaching on gluttony. Um, Got to tell you, um, I'm going to do keto before I do. But um, we're going to go through that together. But today... We're wrapping up a series we've been calling that Jesus did not say, attend me. See, we've created an attend me church. And that church uh, we, was going away anyways. COVID kind of killed it. And the people who belong to that church went away and they're never coming back. Because unfortunately, as human beings, we turned this call of Christ to follow me into kind of following him to a meeting at a building one hour a week. And that's never what it was. Jesus didn't say, attend me. He said, follow me. And to follow Christ, to go with him, is a daily exercise. That ship leaves every single day. If you want to fight the good fight of faith, we talk about, it's, we always think that's what you know, I'm going to make, do this major fight for my, it's the little things, man. It's, fight, it's having a fight for your faith when you get cut off on 480. It's a fight for your faith when you see that Twitter feed of some political rant. It's a fight for your faith with <clears throat> the new conspiracy theory that runs down the block. We're always fighting for our faith because we're following. This is a daily uh, exercise. Jesus said, if you would be my followers. He didn't say attenders. He said, if you'd be my followers, you'll deny yourself, take up your cross. In fact, Luke says, take it up daily and follow me. He called us to follow. <clears throat> See, so Christians are people who respond to a call. And that's why I'm ending this series with Abraham, because Abraham built and Sarah, we're going to focus on Abraham today, but it's them as a couple. Abraham and Sarah built their lives on the basis of a call to follow, right? To follow. 
And to follow, you know, if I say, hey, Ken or Lori, hey, come follow me, Jermaine, come follow me, your answer is what? Where? Chip, okay, follow you where? And God says, I'll tell you when we get there. We'll see. And it, it can be a dangerous answer, it can be an exciting answer, it can be, it can have tumult and turmoil and suffering and valleys and mountains and everything in between. But Abraham lived his life based on a call. And when I counsel pastors, I do a lot of teaching nationally with pastors now, and, and I, at my stage of life, I'm just, everybody says, oh, you're an expert. I said, no, I just got, just old. <laughs> All God's experience. I can, I can tell you where the landmines are that I stepped on, you know. But I, what I say to pastors is, and I say really to all of us, what's your core calling? See, the problem with pastors, and I'm, I'm guilty of this, so physician, heal yourself. We, we try to be experts in everything, right? We try to be able to do everything. We're Swiss Army knives. No, we're not, right? And so what, what are your core callings? I've lived my life out in answering ministry to a call, and I had two callings, and they both came when I was like in middle school. I was barely a teenager. I don't know why God decided at that time to press two callings in my life. One happened in church and worship, and the other happened at a kitchen table with my mom. And the first core calling is I was called to preach. I was called to preach God's word. It scared me to death when it happened. If you want to hear that story, I'll tell you over a cup of coffee. It did have a few Steven Spielberg special effects, so you may not believe me, but I don't talk about it publicly, but I had this call to preach, and it terrified me. But it was there. The second court calling happened when I was in seventh grade. Um, one of my best friends, he was the first African-American to move into our school district, and he played basketball, and I played basketball, and he didn't live too far away, and so we became buds. I thought that's what people did, and we slept over each other's houses, and we ate dinner together, and we went together. And uh, then one day, we went to the Boardman Swim Club outside of Youngstown together, and we jumped in the pool, and the manager of the pool came out and threw Clorox bleach on us and bleached the pool until we got out. And we rode our bikes home, and he was very, very quiet, and we got to the house, and he was still quiet, and my mom was angry, and she called his mom, his mom came over, and I noticed that my mom and his mom hugged for a really long time. And after they left, my mom was wiping tears from her eyes, and she sat me down at the table, and she had the talk. And she told me about racism, I, I didn't know what it was. And she told me that, I want you to know, this is not of God. This is straight from hell. Satan is the author of this stuff. And she said to me, as followers of Jesus Christ, it is our obligation to fight back against that and send that demon back to hell. That's what my mom told me in the seventh grade. And that became my second call. And, and they say, if you, there's a beautiful place where it says, Jesus, look, I might preach a little bit today because I've been out of it for a little bit. So just buckle your seatbelts. It's okay. Uh, don't run for the exits yet. Um, but but what was happening that day is when Jesus saw the crowd who were helpless and torn apart, by definition, they were divided. It said he had compassion on them. For they were like sheep without a shepherd. That, that word compassion in the Greek is such a great word. It's a form of the word splogna. It's, it, it comes in different forms. You know what it literally means? To have your intestines twisted. I said Jesus looked at hurting and divided people and he got sick to his stomach. That's what happened to me at that kitchen table. 
When my mom told me about this, my intestines twisted. I got sick to my stomach. And I knew that my second call was to deal with the brokenness of community. I was to preach the gospel and I was to do whatever I could do to bring people together and not apart. And when I see the division in our country and even in our churches, my own tribe, the denomination I was raised in is going through its own schism and stuff. Every time I see division and separation and polarization and people being exploited and left out and overlooked, my intestines twist. And you got to live in response to whatever the call. What's, what's God called you to do? Right? And Abraham and Sarah are so defined by the call that their names change. In fact, you, some of you are out there going, wait a minute. Well, they said Theron read Abram, isn't it? Abraham. And it was. First, it was Abram and Sarai. They were Iraqi farmers over by the Euphrates River, living, getting ready to go into a retirement home. Big 401k. And God said, I want you to go. And he said, where? I said, I'll show you. And he went. In fact, I love what Hebrews said. It says, by faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. He responded to the call. What? You know... This is, this is how we do it. And if we keep reading on, it said he went out not knowing where he was going, for he was looking forward. So he's looking forward, not backward, forgetting those things that lie behind. I press forward to what looks ahead. Looking forward to the city that has foundations. Hebrews eleven sixteen says, a better country whose designer and builder was God. See, he didn't settle. He's looking for something better. And I get, I get nervous when Christians or religious people settle. Settled religious people are dangerous people. They get stuck. They're not looking forward. They're looking back. They're, they're set in their ways. They're, they're stuck in their thing. And God, Jesus said, no, I didn't call you to settle. I didn't call you to attend. I didn't call you to sit. I called you to follow because I'm going to expand your mind so that you might learn. I'm going to expand your heart so that you might love. And I'm going to expand your community so that you might realize that there's other people as broken as you are. And it's hard to love as you have been. But I love them too. And I'm calling you forward to something better. I had a, I worked with uh, uh, Dr. Gardner C. Taylor. He was a pillar of the civil rights movement. I had a chance to be one of his students. I'm one of his five sons in the ministry. In fact, when, I, when it, Dr. Taylor told me I would be his fifth son, he laughed. He said, and God in God's great wisdom decided to send me a white son. <laughs> it was me, man. It's cool. And so, Dr. but Dr. Taylor, this great pillar of civil rights, he said, you know, Chip, he said, the problem with our country is we've lost our sense of pilgrimage. He said, all we do now is we try to fix what is. Followers of Christ go forward because we're looking for something better. And so this story, I've, I've never preached on it, which is why I have about 11 pages of notes, but I, I promise I'm not looking at them because <laughs> usually I have four, so be very afraid. But, but this, this moment, the story is a moment of separation. It's a morning moment of a kind of a breakup. It's where Abraham and Lot separate. And I want to look at three things. Two of them are kind of practical, and my, my last one is kind of personal. The two practical pieces. One, three men in the story. One, two are in the story, and one is implied. 
The first is what I'm calling the ambition of Lot. Second is the faithfulness of Abraham. And the third is the presence and the promise of Jesus. So first, the ambition of Lot. Lot Lot is an ambitious person. Lot is very, very wealthy, just like um, Abraham. Abraham, it says, was, was very wealthy. And we, we, Lot, it says, who went with Abram also had flocks and herds and tents so that the land could not support both of them living together. For their possessions were so great that they could not live together. Okay? So you see, when you got wealthy back in that day and age, your bank account didn't grow, your livestock did which was a very inconvenient way to get rich, by the way. But you had all these livestock, and then you would need more tents, and you would need more to hire more people to run them. And God had called Abraham into Canaan. Canaan, some people have traveled with me to Israel. It's a very arid area. It's not a ton of vegetation. And so Lot and, and Abraham have all this wealth and all these livestock and, and all this stuff, and they're in this area that cannot support them. They are financially maxed out. And so Abraham says to Lot, I want you to choose where you're going to go. If you go left, I'll go right. If you go right, I'll go left, which is an extremely rare thing that happened. I'll, I'll talk about that. But Lot looks, and if in, they were what they call between Bethel and Ai. I've been there in the Holy Land. The land drops 3,000 feet at that point, so it's a very high lookout. And you could see all this area from up there. And Lot looks over and he sees the Jordan, or by the Jordan River, what goes down to what we now call the Dead Sea, that the Jordan River, this is very, it was very fertile, it was very green, it was very well irrigated. And Lot said, yeah, I'll go there. And he takes that and he heads in that area because that is a way for him to amass more wealth. And he's going towards Sodom, which we know through Scripture. Sodom, it reminded us in here, was a place where people were apart from God, were, were sinning, were not focusing on following God. And Sodom is literally right over the border of the land of Canaan, where God had called him to. And Lot goes as far as he can to stay in Canaan, right outside of Sodom. And if we read a few chapters later, he goes outside of Canaan and into Sodom. See, he is all of a sudden putting his... Uh, priority on his prosperity more than on focusing on the promise of God. And something is happening to Lot spiritually. And you say, well, Chip, where's that in the text? I mean, he's going after, he's going after wealth. There's nothing wrong with going after wealth, and there isn't. The Bible doesn't say money is the root of all evil. It says the love of money is the root of all evil. It captures your heart if it takes over who you are, and that could be a marriage, it could be children, it could be career, it can be all kind of good things, but if it becomes the center of who you are, and it's happening to Lot, how do I know that? Because did you read in the text that he said when Lot looked out and he saw all the area, he said he saw the area of the Jordan River, watch this, did you hear it? What Theron read, it said it looked like the garden of the Lord. Now, what's going on? What's going on here? Well, the Garden of the Lord is the Garden of Eden, right? It's where we had everything. 
It's where we were in perfect relationship with God and we were walking with God and we knew we had value and we knew we had worth. And the truth is we're all trying to get back to the garden of the Lord. But the problem is we look at other things and say, if I had that, then I know I have value. If I had that, then I know I have worth. And what happens is it's like driving a three-ton truck over a one-ton bridge. You're putting all of your value and saying that will be the garden of the Lord and it's going to crack and it's going to break and it cannot withhold you apart from God. In fact, it's happening to a lot. Look, all the workers, they're quarreling, they're fighting. Because when you, you make something your God that's not God, it'll make you irritable because it's the, the bridge is creaking, it's cracking. Dave Morgan, uh, one of our facility team, he's a boater, I'm a boater, he knows I love fishing and that. He gave me a couple books this week, it was so sweet. I knew I was going through some mess and thought that might cheer me up. One was the lighthouses of Lake Erie and the other were shipwrecks. And I was reading through it and I was reading the lighthouse one. I forgot that um, off of Toledo Harbor, I don't know if you've heard, there's something called the disappearing lighthouse. You ever heard of that? Oh, good. I get to teach you something. Um, the disappearing, I've actually driven by it on a boat. But they, they built a lighthouse in the early 1800s. And it was a 44-foot lighthouse. It was very important of the Toledo Harbor. But they didn't realize they built it on a six-acre island that had no stone. And the island was sinking. <laughs> and by the late 1800s, the island had gone from six acres to one acre. And now, then they, in 1905 or something, they built a new lighthouse that's still there in Toledo this day. But if you drive out the bay, the lighthouse, the sinking lighthouse, it's only like about this high off the water right now. <laughs> And probably in 10 years, it'll be like Atlantis under the sea. What did it say? Not knowing where he was going, Abraham looked for a city that had foundations. But Lot saw the garden of the Lord. Oh, if I just have this financial prosperity, if I can just grow my portfolio, I'll have the garden of the Lord. The irony is he wanted the garden of the Lord without the Lord. And that's a sinking lighthouse, friends. And that's, his, that's the ambition of Lot. But look at the faithfulness of Abraham. Now, Abraham's not always faithful. He's called the father of faith, and he is the father to three of the world's great religions, uh, Christianity, Judaism, Islam. One, you know, all claim Father Abraham. But man, if you read all of Genesis, his story, he blows it over and over and over. That's why I relate to him very much, right? But, but in these moments of faith, he remembers his call. In fact, at the end of the story, God comes back and reminds him of his call. Do you know from chapter 12 when God calls him to the end of Abraham's journey at about chapter 25, God brings the calling to Abraham 12 times. Sometimes with new insight, sometimes with a little new focus, because this isn't attend me, this is follow me, and he's growing him up along the way. But Abraham is maturing gradually. And here at this moment, he does something very unusual because he says to Lot, you choose... You choose where you're going to go. Now, to us, we go, okay, what's the big deal about that? This is a 100% patriarchal society. They are built on age and seniority of the men. Abraham is the head of the clan. Abraham is the elder. Lot is the nephew. No in that society ever gives the choice to the younger one. Why does Abraham do it? Why does he break all cultural and social norms? Because he's got, he's got three relationships, and he can only keep two of them. He's got a relationship to God. He's got a relationship to Lot. 
and he has a relationship to his wealth. So he had three options. He could only keep two. So he, what he could have done is he said, Lot, I tell you what, this land cannot support us, so here's what we're going to do. There's all kind of other land in the, in the Middle East here. We're going to go to other land that could support us all. And he would have gone, and he would have kept his relationship with Lot, and he would have kept his relationship with his wealth. Uh-oh. But he lost his relationship with God because God called him to Canaan. So the second option is he could do, do what everybody would have told him to do. You're the senior, you're the elder, you worked hard for what you got, lots younger, you pulled yourself up by your bootstraps, let him do the same thing you did, and you could have said, Lot, I'm going to the good land, you take the leftovers, good luck, buddy. And he would have kept his relationship with God, technically, because he's still in the land, and he would have kept his relationship with his wealth, but he would have lost his relationship with Lot. Because Lot would have felt alienated. Lot would have felt hurt. Lot would have felt estranged and abandoned. Right? Because Lot's been following Abraham. That wasn't an easy thing to do. He's the only one of the family who followed him. Can you imagine following a guy who's following a God who shows up once in a while and takes you to God knows where? You ever gone on trips and you had little kids? In car, when they always say, what do they say? Are we there yet? That comes from Lot. All these years, are we there yet? Are we there yet? I don't know. And, and he didn't estrange his nephew. He, he sacrificed his position, his power, and his privilege. And he said, Lot, you decide. And he chose option three. And he kept his relationship with God. And he kept his relationship with Lot. And he put himself in financial jeopardy. And sacrificed his relationship with his wealth. Because he said, I can't take it with me anyways. Right? And he trusted God in the details. He wasn't fearful. He wasn't, you know, uh, anxious or he wouldn't have done it. Why does he do it? Because people in the follow me church hang on to God and hang on to others. They, they learn in the follow me church to love God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind and love your neighbor. They learn to do that, even if it involves personal sacrifice, even if it means setting aside personal preference or political persuasion or past experience. We're willing to do it to deny ourselves because we're going to hang on to God and hang on to each other. Let me tell you, I know people leave all the time, and it's hard to persevere, and it's hard to be kind, and we get irritable, and we start quarreling, just like Lot's family. But I'm going to tell you, if anybody ever had a right to leave us ever, 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 it was Jesus. If you see how those guys that he called treated him, the last night of his life, they're still arguing and positioning on who's the greatest. I'm going to tell you, I'd have fired the bums. I'd have hired a new team. I would have went out and had resumes. I would have done psychological background checks. I would not get stabbed in the back that many times, but not Jesus. He gets down on his knees and washes feet. And every time I see him doing that, I realize how difficult it's been to stick with me. But he's done it. And if he can be patient with me, I can be patient with others. If he can be long-suffering, with me, then I can suffer a little bit for the sake of the community. If he can get down on his knees and wash feet, so should I. All I need is a testimony and a towel, and I can do his work. And Jesus hangs in there, and Abraham does too. And he hangs in there with Lot. See, people in the Follow Me Church learn how to do that, they learn how to hang on to God. And they learn how to hang on to others. 
So that's the contrast I want to share you today. That's a practical part of this message. That don't allow something else to become your foundation. I have people sometimes, who do, I've been here now, I'm in my 20th year, can you believe it? I didn't think anybody stayed with me 20 years other than my wife. Um, and, and in that time, we've had, I've met so many people in there. Sometimes I'll meet people coming to church, you know, male, female, whatever. And they'll come in and say, oh, you know, I just, I need to find love. I, I want to get married. I just need to get married. And it hurts me to tell them this. I say, you know what? You really don't want to find love. What you're trying to find out is, is are you lovable? See, because if I put that weight on my marriage, and I'm the greatest marriage in the world. If I put that weight on my marriage, if I put that weight on my kids, it, it, it would be like the sinking lighthouse. It would be the most unfair thing to me to do. In fact, it would be spiritual abuse because you cannot put the center and identity of who you are on anything but God. That's it. When I married Terry, she was already married. That guy that rose from the dead a lot of years ago. See, I scared some of y'all, didn't I? She had walked down the altar with Jesus long before she walked down it with me. And, and so should you and so should we all. And that's, that's the faithfulness we need to find. But how do we do that, right? How do we do that? Um, it takes me back to something that God's been saying to me. I, again, don't cry for me, Argentina, right? The Freed family, 2023, except for our granddaughter, has not been kind. We've been going through some stuff. And listen, I appreciate your prayers. I, I get texts from you guys. I get emails. I get Facebook posts. People have sent me stuff Said, hey, is there anything I can do? It is, it is nourishment in the desert that we've been going through. And I want to tell you, you're my friends and you're my family, but you're not my foundation. And if you're doing your job, you're going to remind me of my foundation. And if I'm doing my job, I'm going to remind you of yours. But my foundation has been speaking to me through this story. In fact, since Easter, God keeps saying one line from this story to me. And I knew I was going to preach on some point. I just didn't know when. But what he's been saying to me is, here's Abraham, right? Like he's been faithful and, oh, yeah, he gets an A in, in spirituality. Well, let me tell you, he's been faithful, but it's not been without cost. He's hurting. It said after he separated from Lot. After, you know, there's, there's distance in the family. I put my youngest on a, on a U-Haul truck a couple weeks ago and I sent him off to Denver. And I stand there in the driveway and cried like when I put him on a bus to go to kindergarten, right? Those things hurt and it's after he separates from Lot. God comes back and says to him, lift up your eyes. That's what he's been saying to me. After Lift up your eyes. He keeps saying to me, Chip, lift up your eyes. You know, I, I have a sign I've had on my desk throughout my ministry. It says, if you don't look up, you always think you're the highest point. And I kept saying, why does God keep telling me, lift up your eyes? And uh, they remind me of a couple things. One, it reminded me of a time in 1994. My oldest sister was 44 years old, and she was stricken with cancer that she couldn't beat. And uh, she passed away that year at a young age. And before she died, she owned a house down in the Smoky Mountains in Tennessee. And it was Memorial Day weekend, 1994. And she just had one request. She said, while I'm still mobile, I'd like the whole family for us to all go together to the Smoky Mountains. And it was a sacred pilgrimage. 
And we were there, and we went up to what's called Campbell's Overlook. I've got a picture of it in my office. And uh, Marilyn had us look out at the mountains. And she asked us all to hold hands. And she said, let's pray Psalm 121. And we prayed, I lift up my eyes unto the hills. From whence does my help come from? It comes from the God, the maker of heaven and earth. And I realized even when she was going through that storm, God was telling her, lift up your eyes. And God's been telling me, Chip, lift up your eyes. And there's something in the story was bothering me because here God takes Abraham up on the mountain and says, lift up your eyes and up on this place where you can see all the way around. And it's as though God was saying to me, Chip, lift up your eyes and said to Abraham, you see north, you see south, you see east, you see west. And saying to me, Chip, lift up your eyes. Your, your life may go north, it may go south, it may go east, it may go west, but you know what? I'm gonna go with you. I'm not giving you the, you know, the publisher's sweepstake clearinghouse prayer prize, whatever you think it is. I'm giving you me. You have my presence to go with you and be with you. And I'm thinking, why, why would he do that for me? Like, like I don't deserve that. Why did he do it for Abraham? Abraham didn't deserve it. If you read when Abraham was called in chapter 12, Go, and I'll be with you, and through you, I'll bless all the families of the earth, and I want you to go to this place. It's the land of Canaan, and Abraham did it for one verse. One verse in chapter 12, he was faithful. One verse. And then verse 13 comes along and says, there was a great famine in the land, and what did Abraham do? Get on his knees and trust God? No, he fled to Egypt and left the land of promise. And goes down to Egypt, and Pharaoh looks at his wife, Sarah, and says, hey, you know, she's hot. And, and, and Abraham goes, yeah, she's not my wife. She's my sister. Coward? Trying to save his own skin. He gave his wife up to Pharaoh's harem. And now he's coming back in the land. And he's starting over. He's repenting. He goes back to where he built the altar at first. And now it's, God takes him, him, up on the mountain and says, see, I'm going to give you everything there is. And there's something in his story that was bothering me, was bugging me. Like, I'm like, God, you don't have any standards. You're going to do that for me. You're going to do that for him. And we're imperfect and we're broken. And then I remembered, I heard this story before. See, because 2,000 years later, there was another man who was taken up on a mountain. And Satan said to him, look out at all the kingdoms of the world and all its splendor. And bow down and worship me and I'll give it to you. And Jesus, who had a right to it anyway, refused to do it because he said, I didn't come to gain any, everything. I came to lose everything. I left everything and humbled myself, taking on the form of a servant so that I could give it up to get them. And Jesus went up on the mountain and lost everything so Abraham could go up on the mountain and I can go up on the mountain and you can go up on the mountain. And God said, I'm going to give it all because I gave it all in Jesus. And when we look that way, and when we look at that, we can restore, we can find refreshing. We can do like Psalm 23 says, the Lord is my shepherd. He restores my soul. He leads me by still waters. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He anoints my head with oil. No weapon formed against me shall prosper. His rod and his staff, they they protect me and goodness and mercy will follow me even when I don't follow him. Even like Abraham, when he fell off the wagon, God didn't give up on him. And as long as he turned and came back and he started over and God says, I'm 
going to be with you. Lift up your eyes and look to Jesus. And I, like, I love how this story ends. It says, after God took him up on the mountain and he lifted up his eyes, and he looked from the place where you are, he said, northwards and southwards and eastwards and westwards. For all the land that you see, I will give you. And watch what it says. So Abram moved his tent and came and settled by the oaks of Mamre, which are at Hebron. And there he built an altar to the Lord. Be careful where you build your altars. Be careful who you build your altars to. Be careful where you settle and what ground you stand on. Make sure it's a sure foundation. Make sure it's the one who will forgive you when you fail, heal you when you hurt, and raise you when you die. He is the only foundation. We used to sing in the old church, the church's one foundation is not my preference and not my personality and not my political persuasion. The church's one foundation is Jesus Christ, her Lord. Be careful where you settle. And lift up your eyes when you're in the midst of the storm, even when it hurts. Lift up your eyes and remember the one who went up on the mountain for you and gave it all for the joy that was set before him. He endured the cross. What was his joy? You and me. Lift up your eyes and see him and take new hope in Jesus' name. Amen.